This podcast is part of the Acast Creator Network. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hello and welcome to The Stand with Eamon Dunphy. Now, the Russian invasion of Ukraine was not so long ago regarded as an embarrassing failure and they weren't doing very well. Ukraine had been heroic and resilient and its troops appeared to be on top. But things have changed over the last, we're into, you know, over 18 months of this now is expected to last for three days when Putin took uh, Kiev and conquered Ukraine. That never happened, of course. But we're into a long and bitter and bloody war now that is testing everybody. Yesterday, for example, President Zelensky, uh, the Ukrainian president, sacked his defense minister, Oletsky Resnikov, he resigned, quote, unquote, and there is a new Minister for Defense now, Rustem Umarov, who is a Crimean Tartar. And in other breaking news, really, or late news, a meeting between Turkish President Erdogan and Putin yesterday uh, failed to resolve the issue of grain passing through the Black Sea, Ukrainian grain they couldn't reach agreement because Putin alleges that the West reneged on the last deal. To discuss where we are now with this war, it's a pleasure to welcome to the stand Senator Tom Clonan. Tom is a security analyst and author and a retired Irish army captain who saw serious action in the Middle East and was elected to the Senate on the 22nd of March last year for the Trinity College seat. Tom, thank you very much for joining us. This war now appears to have reached some kind of stalemate to my and most people's uninformed view, as it were. What's your take on it? It's been a, a long, slow, hot summer in, in Ukraine. And the counteroffensive, which began... Uh, in June, Zelensky's much vaunted counter yes. counteroffensive. It has been slow, and it has been attritional. It has been painfully slow, and and I use that word painfully in in the sense that 
and Ukraine will have sustained a lot of losses in that grinding frontal attritional combat. And so, seventy thousand. Uh, forgive me for interrupting you. Seventy thousand is a number I saw in the last few days for the number of Ukrainian fighters killed. Yeah, that sounds, um, you know, within the bounds of reason, given that it's one and a half years of of continuous combat, 70,000. And when you consider that um, in in what they call the exchange ratio, if you have, you'll have three seriously injured for every one person killed in action. So you're looking at, you know, approximately 200,000. Yes. Um, uh, you know, the, you know, who've been seriously injured in addition to that 75,000. So fr- from a human perspective, it's, it's, it's catastrophic. These are catastrophic losses and they're on both sides. But I, I would say this, uh, Eamon, I mean, the last time we spoke, we spoke about, uh, Yevgeny Prigozhin. Yes. And at that point in June, the Ukrainian offensive was, was only a couple of weeks old and they enjoyed some some quite some considerable success up around Bakhmut, to the extent that Prigozhin, Yevgeny, and and his Wagner group went on the most extraordinary uh, kind of crusade almost towards Moscow. They went back through their own rear echelon, through their lines into Russian territory, up to Rostov and Don, and 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 were heading for Moscow. Yes, and they shot down Russian aviation. They 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 killed Russian. Uh, pilots in the Air Force at, at a time when Ukraine was on the attack. And as I said to you at the time, Eamon, you know, this was definitely, um, you know, Prigozhin had signed his own death warrant. Yes. And that has taken place in the last 10 days. And this, uh, when it, when his plane fell from the sky in flames. Yeah, and, the people uh, he, was, he was complaining about Putin, but he's also named Sergei Shogu, the Minister for Defence in Russia, and uh, Gerasimov, Valery Gerasimov, who was the Chief of General Staff for the uh, Russian Army. He demanded that they both be handed over. Now, interestingly, so while this grinding offensive has been underway, there have been significant changes in, in the Kremlin. So Prigozhin has been eliminated, but Putin has begun to purge amongst his own close contacts and allies in right. In, in headquarters. So, so, so up until now, Putin has been taking out opposition figures and the odd and kind of oligarch who, who might have kind of overstepped the mark, but he's now beginning to purge in and amongst his own group. So from the military perspective, Gerasimov, author of the, the infamous Gerasimov doctrine, uh, and, you know, commander in chief of the special military operation. In what Ukraine, was the Gerasimov doctrine? Oh, uh, was it, we'll take uh, Kiev in three days. <laughs> yeah. And, and also, you know, he had evolved a kind of a, a new manual, uh, of land operations against NATO, uh, which was kind of post Cold War, which would see the Russians being a nimble, uh, highly maneuverable combined arms force. But also worryingly, he was author of that doctrine, which incorporated the use of small tactical nuclear weapons into the conventional right. arsenal. Yes. And that's why <laughs> one of the reasons why in the context of this conflict, uh, you know, that was a very, it was very worrying to see him appointed to command that operation or the, the illegal and criminal invasion of Ukraine. But Gerasimov has disappeared, more or less. Right. And he is said to be resting. Some people said he was questioned for a period of time. And there's a suspicion among, uh, the, the belief is 
and observers say that Putin was very alarmed at um, uh, Prigozhin's advance on Moscow. Yeah, he got within uh, 200 kilometers, which is extraordinary. and, And now in the aftermath, when the dust has settled and Yevgeny Prigozhin has gone to his his maker, uh, there seems to be a kind of a, a settling of scores. So a number of very senior generals who were seen to be almost sympathetic, one of them actually was photographed, unfortunately for him, in Rostov-on-Don, posing kind of more or less for a selfie with Prigozhin on his way to uh, Moscow. So 11 members of the senior general staff have been purged in the last number of weeks. Right. And they include all sorts of very interesting people. For example, General Mikhail Mizintsev, who was known as the Butcher of Mariupol, yes. who was much vaunted for his well destruction of Mariupol and its capture. He he has disappeared. Left General Vladimir Alexiev, who is second in command of the Russian intelligence uh, within military, he has disappeared. Andrei Yudin, General of the Air Force, General Nikolai Gustev of the 4th Air Force Army, General Oleg Toskov was killed in action, General Andrei, you, I mentioned him, um, a, a remarkable number, Ivan Popov from the 58th yes. Army taken out, Vladimir uh, Silivarestrov from the 10th Airborne Division. So basically, the, the people who have been in command at very senior levels of Putin's three-day war, which is now five hundred and sixty yes. odd days, have all been taken out of the out of the scenario in the last couple of weeks. Yes. Now, in in parallel with that, people like will be wondering, well, what has happened during the summer? Because you know we don't get very much by way of explicit information, but there have been a number of things that we can we can observe and we can we can kind of read into them. First of all. The front is 1,000 kilometers long, 600 miles, and the Ukrainians have continued to probe and attack along the full length of that line, from Kherson in the southwest right up to Bakhmut in, in the northeast. The, the, the Ukrainians have made some gains around Bakhmut, uh, very minor gains, but in the last week to 10 days, they have made a significant move um, just east of Kherson. If you recall, Kherson was the first provincial capital to be liberated yes. from uh, Russian occupying forces this time last year, last September. Uh, sorry, a little bit later than last September. And apparently, uh, Ukrainian forces have managed to cross the Dnipro River and have gained a foothold in a place called Kozachi Lahiri. And that is will be very worrying for the Russians because they, they really... That's why they released the waters from the Kokovka Dam. Yes. They didn't want the Ukrainians to get into the Dnipro Delta. They're there now. And if they continue to move down what's known as the, A, uh, the E97 road network south towards the coast, they could actually isolate thousands and thousands of Russian troops, you know, mobilized yes. reservists called Mobix, you know, in a derogatory phase, yes. phrase. They could be split and, and isolated there. So, but I think the most significant development is, as probably everybody has heard around Robotnya, um, which is in Zaporizhia province. And this is significant because the, the Russians had a very long time to prepare in-depth defenses, very, very densely uh, and very extensive 
minefields. Yes, and trenches and, as and well. And dug in trench yes. systems and dragon's teeth and the whole lot. Very, very well prepared uh, defensive positions with massive artillery support, pre-registered fires. And of course, the Russians also enjoy more or less air superiority. So the fact that the Ukrainians got into Robotnya and have taken it means that they have smashed, they've gotten their way through uh, Russia's first layer of defense and are, and are actually probably on the second layer. They, they, they have th- the Russians have three layers of defense in depth. The fact that they're in Robotnya and heading for Novopropivka means that the Ukrainians are two thirds their way through. And the, for, for people to understand, how, how do they do this? Well, it's, it's, it's like World War One with extra technology. So what the Ukrainians have been doing is they've been concentrating artillery fire, doing slow creeping artillery barrages, uh, f- moving forward onto the, uh, uh, the, the Russian defenses. It's called lift and shift, moving forward, moving forward. In the immediate wake of that, you have engineers and engineer formations trying to breach the minefields. And they've been given minefield uh, clearing systems, things like the Python system, uh, and using special vehicles and equipment to clear pathways through the mines. Once they've cleared that, they're then followed by um, armored fighting vehicles, well, well, tanks initially, main battle tanks. And these are the Leopard tanks and the Challengers and the soon-to-arrive Mike 1A1 Abram tanks from the United States. They're providing what they call closer, intimate fire support for armoured fighting vehicles coming behind them to manoeuvre right up to the Russian trenches. And what happens next is the Ukrainians have to dismount their infantry and actually go into the trench networks and do hand-to-hand combat, grenades, small arms fire, bayonets to take out the trench systems. So a lot of that, a lot of footage of that type of combat, which was reminiscent of World War One, you know, mind you, notwithstanding the presence of main battle tanks and armoured fighting vehicles, which which really weren't there at the time. But that's the kind of grinding attritional combat that Ukraine have been engaged in, and it has been a long, slow process. But at Robitnia, they have the high ground, and they're within striking distance of Tokmak, which is just south of that, and then Melitopol. Melitopol, as the crow flies, is about 67, 70 kilometres from uh, Robotnia, if they get to Melitopol, they will have cut off Putin's land corridor right. from, from the Rostov Oblast to, to the Crimean Peninsula. That would be a, a significant uh, victory for, for Zelensky and might assist him in, I suppose, putting pressure on Putin and possibly uh, beginning to, to shape some kind of a, a set of conditions for for some sort of negotiation. I don't. I, I don't know. Yes, and I should point out about the sacking of the defense minister Reznikov. He wasn't sacked himself for corruption, but he was. It was alleged that there was corruption in the Ministry of Defense, which w- would be troubling. And the new the new def- defense minister is a Crimean Tartar. The Tartars are fierce. Fighters, aren't they? Yeah, and this guy, the, um, Alexei Resnikov's replacement, Rustem mm. Umerov, this Crimean Tartar, he he's had an interesting 
CV in this war to date. So he has been responsible for the negotiations of prisoner exchanges between the Russians and the Ukrainians. Yes. He was also responsible for evacuating civilian populations with Russian forces encroaching uh, and negotiating with the Russians for things like uh, humanitarian evacuation corridors and so on and so forth. So he is an individual who has, at the height of this conflict, uh, direct face-to-face uh, or certainly one, one-on-one negotiation with the Russians. So I thought that was a very interesting move on the chessboard, as it were, in terms of what might happen next. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Another emerging fact or suggestion is that Ukraine are running out of weapons, running out of munition, should we say, to call it. Even the Americans can't keep them supplied. There's, they're using up their munition at a fierce rate. The Russians are also, it has to be said, but the Russians appear to have more. Uh, does that make sense to you, Tom? Yeah, well, the, the logistics, I mean, no no, no logs, no war. If you don't have logistics, if you don't yes. have the right place, I mean, I can't remember which U.S. general said, said it, but the person with the most stuff, in the right place at yep. the right time is the person who wins the war. Right. And and there, ha- there has been a NATO-wide and a remarkably a European Union-wide attempt to maximize the production of 155 uh, millimeter uh, artillery shells. 
Now, I don't think the Ukrainians are going to run out of uh, ammunition anytime soon. Um, and interestingly, you know, in talking about breaching the minefields, the Ukrainians have been using, and this is a very controversial feature of the counteroffensive, they have been very creative and imaginative in their use of cluster munitions. Yes. Because these are, uh, you know, they, they detonate Air, air, kind of almost like an airburst yes. and disperse hundreds and hundreds of, of what they call bomblets uh, and smaller munitions over a wide area. And these have been used to clear uh, areas through mine, minefields because when they, you yes. know, in proximity to anti-tank mines, anti-personnel mines, they'll detonate them. And they've also been used to uh, get into trench networks and, and create right. havoc. And uh, Biden gave them the, this this cluster. Bombs. Yeah, it was it was controversial uh, for for one obvious, what seemed obvious to a layman reason, reason that they you know even even they get the innocent people as well as the oh they're, the yeah, they're ones. an indiscriminate weapon. And for yes. Irish listeners, um, Ireland actually brokered the international convention which banned cluster munitions yes and that international convention took place in Croke Park of all places right. and that's where uh, Michal Martin was minister for foreign affairs at the time and he he chaired and brokered those talks so you know to see those munitions which were banned in Dublin uh, being used you know it's 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 an, it's it's yeah you know it's 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 not great but that's that's what's happening and the, you know, but the Russians have been using cluster munitions, as have the Ukrainians, yes. prior to the supply of these cluster munitions from from the United States. But you know, the the Ukrainians will argue that they're fighting for their survival. Of course, and as more and, and, more, and, as more, and more information comes out, you know, we are learning that wherever Putin's forces um, occupied, they systematically murdered, and yes. raped, and and. Yes, basically removed the civilian population and children to Russia proper. So that's the desperate situation they find themselves in. But the Russians haven't, you know, they haven't completely lost the initiative in this in this conflict. And yeah. I'm not saying this because uh, <laughs> some people will criticize just ob making this observation. It's not. It's not. An, it's not as you know. A, a, I'm not articulating any support for Russia far, far from it. This is a criminal invasion, yes. and it's an absolute—it's you know—it's it's an affront to the international laws of armed conflict. But there is there are reports that the Russians are are massing troops up in in the north part of that um, front, um, on the border of the the Kharkiv uh, Oblast. With with and the fear is that they may try to move towards places like Kupiansk and retake some of the territory that was taken very dramatically this time last year. Yes. So the Russians are still in the fight, but I think their motivation to fight, if this land corridor is cut, and that's what Zelensky and his troops will, will seek right. to exploit between now and, you know, it's September, it's autumn, the window of opportunity to exploit that gap uh, up around Robotnia, Tokmak and Melitopol, the pressure will be on and the pressure will be on the Russians to redeploy troops and move their mobile, you know, their, their reservists down there and try and, and try and stop that, that route. There are some studies that suggest that morale amongst Russian troops is very, very low. Yes. That there have been uh, reports of, you know, large numbers of, of Russian troops surrendering uh, in, in large groups. Uh, and 
if if that is true, if it's not just propaganda, if it is true, and if you have this disruption of leadership, at, you know, at the level of the general staff, um, th- these are all factors that will will play in Zelensky's favour. But what they'll be hoping for is a route that they will actually get Russian troops to to abandon their positions yes. and, and run for the hills. That has happened before. It happened this last this time last year up in the Kharkiv Oblast when the Ukrainians, after a lot of probing attacks, then suddenly made a very lightning, what they call a, almost like a cannonball run, and and the Russians ran. They 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 didn't. There was no counterattack. There was no prepared defense. They literally dropped their weapons and and ran, ran and and used vehicles where they could just to get it get away across across the river, you know, more towards uh, Russian territory. So looking on, Eamon, I think what's happened over the summer, in international military analysts and all of the military academies are watching with great interest what's happened on the ground. What the Russians have shown is that, you know, you can't have an air war or a drone war for, for, for conv- even in the 21st century, Conventional conflict requires boots on the ground. You've yes. got to actually have a strong ground force because to, to retake territory, you've got to literally kick the other guy out. Yes. And that's what we're talking about, you know, hand-to-hand combat, bayonets, grenades, yes. the type of combat we, we haven't really seen, um, well, I suppose since the, the conflict in the former Yugoslavia, but since, since World War II in terms of the, the magnitude and the scale of it. So I know that the British military will be looking at, they, they've reduced their strength from over 160,000 down to about 70,000. The, the, they'll be putting their thinking caps on again and, and wondering about that. You, I think you're going to see in the aftermath of this conflict, a, a major reinvestment in, in defence throughout Europe, unfor- yes. unfortunately. The other thing is the use of drones. Um, at the beginning of the conflict, drones were a kind of a novel innovation. But drones are now organic to every single unit on the ground, in the maritime domain, everywhere. Every unit is using them. And you also have the use of what they call algorithmic warfare or the use of artificial intelligence to, to analyze digital data that they're gathering on the battlefield. And a lot of this is down to mobilized reserves using mobile phones and to contact people at home. And all this data is being analyzed and open source intelligence to identify command and control centers on the Russian side, uh, logistics, uh, supply routes, arms, dumps, concentration of forces. So with the limited ammunition that the Ukrainians have, they have been able to concentrate their fires and use them very, very effectively against, as you said yourself, uh, an enemy that um, has a greater number of people and material but who are frustrated on the ground. I mean, the, it's still, even though it's painfully slow and the cost in human life is catastrophic, the Ukrainians are still making gains. Right. And let me ask you a couple of things to, just in, in conclusion, Tom. General Armageddon, where's he gone? He was the guy um, who... Yeah, this is Sergei Sorovkin. Yeah, uh, was, he, he was the guy in Syria and in Chechnya who, you know, basically flattened these places. I think early in this conflict, he flattened Ukrainian cities. Bakhmut would be one, but there was another shocking destruction of a city. And he was a big deal. He was, uh, where is he? Well, nobody knows. 
Ah, he's he gone has, on holiday, has he? Yeah. He has, he has, uh, he's also said to be resting. Right. Um, all of this instability, Tom, around Putin, and it is said to be a small circle of people, and the fact that Prigozhin got within 200 kilometers, and there are scenes, uh, as you've, you've referred to uh, Rostov uh, on Don, where the kids were looking for selfies with him and all of that stuff. But all of that suggests a very febrile atmosphere at the heart of the Kremlin. Yeah, look, Pr Prigozhin signed his own death warrant when, yes. he, when he confronted Putin's authority, Yeah, when he challenged it. And I think in its aftermath and post-mortem after his death, Putin has been seriously damaged. As I said earlier, he's beginning to purge within his inner circle yes. for the first time. And Russians now know that the person who has the most guns, you know, it's the balance of fear. You can you can yep. take on Putin if, if you have weapons. And that sends a very profound message to the military oligarchs, the successors of yes. Sorovakin, Gerasimov, Shoigu, Popov, yep. Alexeyev. They, they, they'll be looking now and thinking, well, I'm next. Yes. And they have the guns because it's one thing to take out a couple of oligarchs or fellas to fall from the sixth floor balcony of their yes. hotel. But when you take on, and it's predominantly men in Russia, when you take on the guys with guns and start taking them out, I think, you know, Putin is under unprecedented pressure at the moment. Right. A final question. Um, there are all kinds of people suggesting all kinds of things. What does victory look like for Putin? And what does victory look like for Zelensky and Ukraine, in your view? It's very difficult to answer because, yes. you know, well, first and foremost, I'd say that is a matter for, for Ukraine. It's a matter for, you know, it's it's their sovereign right. Yes to, to decide. Their, their land, yes. But if you if you pull back from that and look at it through the you know the cold calculus of logistics and men on the ground and women on the ground and you know I think given the length of time that it has taken to force a breach in the Russian defenses that the aspiration to liberate every square inch of territory is, yeah. and is, is, is so ambitious that it, it, it could actually destroy Ukraine itself in, in, in attempting that. Yes. At the same time, for Russia to continue its momentum in terms of the operational dynamic, they are on the point of a fresh wave of mobilization. And that fresh wave of mobilization would, would involve the, you know, reservists and mobilizing kids in Moscow, St. Petersburg yes. and the big urban centers at a time when Putin is now purging his own inner circle. Right. I don't think that's tenable either. So in terms of victory and, and, and defeat, certainly securing a land corridor to Crimea was a inverted commas victory for Putin. That's something that he could say, I achieved this. Yes. If that's taken from him by Zelensky right. 
And that is within Zelensky's grasp. So right. that's what I think they will be trying to do within the autumn winter window of opportunity. And in, and behind all of this, uh, Eamon, I, I don't know if you've seen the footage of that close combat. It's, no. it's young Ukrainians, young, uh, you know, they're, they're paying the price, young men and women. Yes. Yes. And, um, one would hope that at a certain point this, this this conflict can come to some sort of a resolution that is acceptable to the the Ukrainian people. Okay, Senator Tom Clonan, thank you very much indeed for joining us with that brilliant and clear analysis of what's happening in the first uh, war in Europe since 1945, which is so bloody and so painful to witness. We're grateful to Senator Clonan, to all of you for listening. That's all we have time for now. We'll talk to you soon. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.